You have put a new song in my mouth. A song of praise. A sound that resonates that all of heaven and earth may worship you. We tread the hills to meet with you, to see your majesty in all that surrounds us. For it speaks and displays the eternal God of ages, creator, author, victor. In love, you established an everlasting covenant with your people, and it's your love that captivates us. As children of the King, we rush in as waves unrestrained, overcome, overwhelmed, that the King crowned in glory and splendor would reach down to place a crown upon our heads. So we raise our banner, the banner we boldly stand under, the banner of Jesus Christ. From dusk to dawn, from age to age, your praise resounds in all the earth. Deliverer, Redeemer, ruler of an everlasting kingdom that cannot be shaken. We trust in the name of Christ Jesus, the only King forever. Welcome to Zion's Redemption Radio. This is Fundamentally Mormon. I'm your host, Mark Lichtenwalter. The guest call-in number is 917-889-8827. That's 917-889-8827. You can find this at blogtalkradio.com forward slash fundamentally Mormon. And the text will also be posted on my Facebook wall at facebook.com forward slash L-A-Z-U-R-U-S 1977. You can also find the text and the audio to this radio program on iTunes at Fundamentally Mormon and in the different Facebook groups that I am an admin of. Some of those groups are LDS Last Days Prophecy and Gospel Discussions, LDS Gospel Mysteries, Latter-day Unity, and others. You can find the pages that I admin also on my Facebook wall. And if you enjoy this program, please friend request me or follow me and uh, make me one of your close friends. We try to put out as many episodes as we can during the week. But I'm thankful for you to be here today. Let's get right into the reading today. We are going to be reading out of Ogden Kraut's books. You can find his books for free to read online at ogdenkraut.com. That's O-G-D-E-N-K-R-A-U-T.com. That's O-G-D-E-N-K-R-A-U-T.com. Welcome to the program. Today is the ninth day of September 2021. The guest call-in number is 917-889-8827. There's a chat room available for people to make comments and ask questions, and that is at blogtalkradio.com forward slash fundamentally Mormon. Today we're going to be getting into uh, Chapter 4 of United Order, pages 35 to 54, the ancient or other ancient orders is the title of the chapter. 
and uh, I'll just get right into the reading after the dedication. O God, the Eternal Father, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. We thank thee, Father, for the opportunity to be tools in thine hand to bring about the knowledge of Zion's redemption. We know that in the scriptures, you tell us that when there is a people who will do all that you have commanded, and they build Zion below, they shall look up and they shall see Zion come from above with the church of the firstborn and all the holy resurrected prophets and angels that thy kingdom above would join with thy kingdom below. We desire to be tools in thine hand to help facilitate Zion's redemption. We know that in Isaiah chapter 28, that the one mighty and strong goes among the drunkards of Ephraim in the last days, and that his primary mission is to teach they who have been weaned from the milk and drawn from the breast. Father, we desire to do these things. Prepare the hearts of the listeners that they may consider the things that we're going to be talking about today, and help me to have the discernment to talk about the things that you want me to talk about today. Help us to all have discernment that we may not be led in error. Help us to learn to test the spirits, as Paul says to Timothy in the Brit Hadashah, or the New Testament. We love thee, Father, and we thank thee for the plan of salvation. We thank thee for sending thine only begotten Son, that he willingly gave his life for us, that we might come back into thy presence. We love thee, Father, and we say these things in the name of your only begotten Son, Yeshua ben Yosef HaMashiach, Lord Jesus the Christ. Amen. Gather my saints together unto me, those who have made a covenant with me by sacrifice. Psalms chapter 50 verse 5. From the time of Enoch to the Gospel's restoration in 1830, there have been only a few uh, sporadic periods of time during which some of God's children have been capable or worthy of, of obeying the United Order. This chapter will include three main economic systems where these principles were at least presented and taught to the people. As recorded in the Old Testament, the Book of Mormon, and in the New Testament, Moses. Whenever the Lord sought to guide the children of Israel, he also gave them certain laws pertaining to land title and stewardships. 
so it was at the time of Moses. The laws of Moses comprised several hundred statutes, judgments, and commandments given for the regulation of government as well as individuals. Those considered here are land title, usury, and what usury is, is uh, it, it's actually against Torah law to lend money to a citizen of Israel and expect to collect interest off of that. That's usury. Indebtedness and the Jubilee Law. Actually, I'm going to just look at the definition of usury real quick. Okay, according to the Oxford American Writer's Thesaurus, usury is a noun. It means to... It means money lending, payday lending, loan sharking, or shylocking. Let's see here. The new Oxford American Dictionary says... The illegal action or practice of lending money at unreasonably high rates of interest, the medieval prohibition on usury, interest at unreasonably high rates. Middle English uh, from Anglo-Norman French user or from medieval Latin usuria, from Latin, asuria, or asusia. Okay, I guess. Good definition, I guess. Anyway, let's get back to the reading. We're on page 36. Oh, and by the way, you can read this book for free online at ogdenkraut.com. That's O-G-D-E-N-K-R-A-U-T.com. Just click on the link that says Read Books Online and scroll down to United Order. Uh, there are tons of books that Ogden wrote about the Restoration and all of these uh, d- deeper topics, really good books. Um, also, I have posted this on my wallet, facebook.com forward slash L-A-Z-U-R-U-S 1977. And I will probably be posting it in LDS Last Day's Prophecy and Gospel Discussion and LDS Gospel Mysteries. Those are two of my groups, as well as Zion's Redemption Bookstore and Zion's Redemption Radio Network, as well as probably Messiah Ben Joseph. They're all pages that I manage. All right, one of the first things Moses did after leading the children of Israel into the wilderness was to give them God's law outlining an economic system of regulating their lands and possessions. Under these laws, each person would be given a stewardship, but the title of the land would be held by the tribe in common. This this title of land was not to be given or sold to an alien, thus preserving every parcel of land for the house of Israel. Previously, God had promised land title to Abraham by saying, For all the land which thou seest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed forever. Bereshit, or Genesis, chapter 13, verse 14. 
Furthermore, the children of Israel were told, I will deliver the inhabitants of the land into your hand, and thou shalt drive them out before thee. Thou shalt make no covenant with them, nor with thy go- or with their gods. They shall not dwell in thy land, lest they, they make thee sin against me. For if thou servest their gods, it will surely be a snare unto thee. Exodus chapter 23, verses 31 through 33. And like, there's a lot of people who have a problem with the fact that God allowed the Israelites to annihilate uh, the Canaanite people. But let me just tell you, um, in the scriptures, there is a lot of exaggeration, uh, exaggerated words. And it's interesting because it says to annihilate them in one verse, and then it says not to marry with them in another verse. If they're annihilated, then they wouldn't be able to marry them because they would all be dead. So not understanding the vernacular of scriptures, people get all bent out of shape. Now, they were killed. There were many Canaanites who were killed But just let me tell you what they were doing. While while the tribes of Israel were slaves in Egypt, or Mitzrim, which is the Hebrew word for Egypt, the Canaanites were building metal statues to their god Baal and Moloch. And there were compartments in these metal statues. And one of the compartments, they would put their babies into the compartment. And then they would light a fire and listen to their baby scream as it sizzled to death. These people were extremely wicked. Now, that's a poison to God's people. And the reason it's a poison is because over time, these extremely wicked individuals try to gain ground in the culture so that eventually people start doing what they did. And Solomon did it, and other people in the, uh, in the Old Testament did it, and they were cursed for it. Now, why does it say to kill women and children? Because if you let them live, they will continue on the culture that they have, you know, that is their people because it's their tradition. And they will infect the children of Israel with their extreme wickedness and their child sacrifice. That's why I believe God uh, told the people of Israel to push them out of the land and to wipe them out. But it doesn't mean completely to wipe them out, or maybe it did, but they just didn't get them all, and God knew it. (laughs) So he said, don't marry with them. If Solomon had been obeying the Torah, he wouldn't have taken strange wives. But he wouldn't have also taken so many wives as well. He was multiplying wives, which is against Torah, And he fell. He became darkened in his mind because of his disobedience, and he fell. Anyway, getting back into the reading. 
But the Lord placed a stipulation upon the land that the Israelites should obtain. The land shall not be sold forever, for the land is mine. For ye are strangers and sojourners with me. Leviticus chapter 25 verse 23. All the land acquired by the Israelites was to be kept in possession of the Israelites. No Israelite land could be sold to the Gentiles. The Lord, let's see, the Lord gave another economic law for the Israelites concerning their money and its usury or interest. Quote, if they'll lend money to any of my people that, that is poor by thee, Thou shalt not be to him as a user, neither shalt thou lay upon him usury. Exodus chapter 22, verse 25. And if thy brother be waxen poor and fallen in decay with thee, then thou shalt relieve him, yea, though he be a stranger or a sojourner, that he may live with thee. Take thou no usury of him, or increase, but fear thy God, that thy brother may live with thee. Thou shalt not give him thy money upon usury, nor lend him thy victuals for increase. Leviticus chapter 25, verses 35 through 37. Now I'm going to go check out to see what this word here is. I can get it to work. Okay. Victuals. According to the Oxford American Writers Thesaurus, it's an archaic visitor who are offered fine victuals or food, food and drink, fare, cooking, cuisine, substance, n- n- nourishment, nutrition, bread, whatever. So that's that's what a victual is. Let's see here okay sounds good enough we'll just oh okay so he's saying uh, nor lend him thy victuals for increase so he's saying don't charge interest on the food that you give him don't try to make money on your brother that's all that's saying so but note that this law pertained only to the Israelites, and a distinction was made in the law for those who were not of Israel. Thou shalt not lend upon usury to thy brother, usury of money, usury of victuals, usury of anything that is lent upon usury. Unto a stranger thou mayest lend upon usury, but Unto thy brother thou shalt not lend upon usury, that the Lord thy God may bless thee in all that thou settest thine hand to in the land, whether thou goest to possess it. Devarim or Deuteronomy chapter 23 verses 19 and 20. So this law is actually one of the reasons the Jews seem to get in trouble in the societies that they live in because they will lend each other money at a low interest rate, but to the Gentiles, anybody around them, they will lend money with high interest rates. 
and then they get rich on these interest rates and then the people and and they're already um insulated from the the community cuz they don't marry out of their community so people get angry at them and uh and they end up controlling a lot of uh having a lot of power because they keep these laws among themselves and uh the gentiles get pretty angry at them because it's not fair. But if the Gentiles were as smart as the Jews, maybe they would have what the Jews have. But anyway. All right, anyway, let's get back into the reading. Thus it was a sin for an Israelite to ask usury of another Israelite. Page 38. The question was asked by King David, Lord, who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Who shall dwell in the in thy holy hill? or as we would say, who is worthy of a temple recommend. Part of the answer was that he that putteth not out his money to usury, nor taketh reward against the innocent. Psalms chapter 15, verses 1 and 5. The prophet Yahu or Jeremiah, declared his own innocence by saying that he had never charged usury. See Jeremiah chapter 15, Verse 10, and Ezekiel said that if a man did what was right, he would not charge usury. And furthermore, that if a man did among other sins, uh, let's see, that if a man did, he should not live. He hath done all these abominations, he shall surely die. Ezekiel chapter uh, 18, verse 13. Martin Luther rendered his view of usury banking system so prevalent in the world. The heathen, out of natural reason and understanding, were able to render an account that an usurer is a threefold thief and murderer. But we that are Christians hold them in such honor and esteem that in a manner we adore and worship them. No regards is had, and what scorn and derision thereby we procure to the name of a Christian and to Christ himself. For although we were not Christians, yet natural sense and reason tells us that a usurer is a murderer. For whoso sects the maintenance of another, the same not only robs and steals, but he also commits even as great a murderer as he that starves and utterly destroys one. This does a usurer, and in the meantime sits in the chair, whereas he justly ought to hang on the gallows and be devoured by so many ravens as he has stolen shillings. We're on page 39. If otherwise too much flesh were on him that so many ravens might be able to piece it and depart it out. Cato, the usurer's enemy, said, Little thieves lie stocked, ironed in prisons, but great thieves ride prancing in silks and chains of gold. But so much as we, we neither punish nor strive against them, therefore, without doubt, in the end, we together with the usurers shall pay sweetly for it. And that's Table Talk by Martin Luther, who lived in the 1500s. He's the one that, 
he was the German monk who nailed the uh, 95 Thesis on the Wittenberg uh, Cathedral. Anyway, uh, Table Talk, uh, really popular book. And actually, that book, um, the Catholics tried to destroy that book in book burnings, but they didn't get them all. So we do have copies of them today, and you can buy them online. So that's Table Talks. And it's really good stuff. So, I mean, I don't agree with everything Martin Luther says, but it's really good stuff. So, all right, let's see. The Prophet Joseph Smith seemed to agree with the law of Moses regarding usury when he said, quote, The temple economy of this people should be to establish and encourage manufacturers and not to take usury for their money. Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, page 328. And actually, I... That made me think of something that, um, okay, so the prophet Joseph Smith agreed with law, Torah law. That's because it was never done away with. Jesus fulfilled the law and in, in uh, the lexicon of Judaism, to fulfill the law means to live it perfectly. If a rabbi says you are fulfilling Torah, that just means that you're living it perfectly in his eyes. But Jesus lived the Torah perfectly in God's eyes. He was a perfect vessel. He did not do away with. In fact, he said, not one jot or tittle. Uh, I will not do away with one jot nor tittle till all things are finished. And I look around and I don't see a sea of glass, which is spoken of in the book of Revelations. The Torah is still applicable. The sacrifices were fulfilled in the Lamb of God, who is Jesus Christ, or Yeshua. But did you know that in the millennium, according to Ezekiel chapter 37, we will have sacrifices, and also Zechariah chapter 14, during the millennium? Those are memorial sacrifices, but, but the atonement sacrifice, the forgiveness sacrifice, the all of that has been fulfilled in the sacrifice of the perfect Lamb of God, who is Jesus Christ. Now, real quick, it occurred to me last night that there were thousands and thousands and thousands, if not tens of thousands of Christians who were Christians before there was a New Testament. Everything that is taught in the New Testament comes from the Old Testament, or the Tanakh, the Torah, the Ketavim, and the Nevi'im. Everything that Jesus taught comes from the Old Testament. He was the perfect rabbi, and he was a rabbi. Every Christian before 200 years after Christ, or uh, after his birth anyway, they didn't have the scriptures as we have them. They didn't have the New Testament. Before Paul came around, and even Paul, he didn't have any of the New Testament. Because the event of the resurrection and the life of Jesus Christ was what caused the movement, not the book. So when people say that that the Bible is the authority? No, it's not. 
Which Bible anyway? Which Bible is the authority? Because the Catholics have the Bible, and it's different from the Protestants' Bible, and then you've got all kinds of different versions of the Bible, and some of them use, you know, certain uh, scrolls, and uh, and then you've got the NIV where they didn't believe in the deity of Jesus Christ, and they just take verses out uh, randomly. You know, the authority doesn't come through a book. The authority comes by revelation. James chapter 1 verse 5 says, If you lack wisdom, ask God, and he will give it to you. How does God give you information? By revelation. And if you are receiving revelation, you are a prophet. Now, you can receive revelation from both sides, both the light and the dark. This is why Paul tells Timothy to try the spirits, for thereby many false prophets have gone into the world. And what does he mean by this? He means that you can get revelation from a wrong source and be misled by it. We've got to learn how to get revelation for ourselves and then confirmation of the Holy Spirit with the fruit of the Spirit mentioned in Galatians chapter 5, 22 and 23. The fruit of the Spirit is peace, joy, love, and these type of things. But also, after Jesus Christ was resurrected, he walked with two disciples, and they did not know who he was. And at the end of, of their interaction with him, they realized this is Jesus, and he disappeared from their midst. And one of the disciples looked at the other and said, Did not our hearts burn within us? This is a confirmation of the Holy Spirit as well. In fact, whenever you feel the deep burning of God, the baptism of fire, some call it, you can be assured that Jesus is just beyond the veil in your presence. And you can know that the things that you are seeking are true. So if the spirit um, increases after you ask God if something's true, then you can know that it's true. Because Peter said, Scripture is not for private interpretation. That's because the interpretation of Scripture belongs to God, not man. Continuing on with the reading, we're 21% through with, uh, with the chapter for today. The question may be asked today, do Mormons take usury from their own people as they do from the outsiders? And how does this apply to church-owned Zion's bank? The Lord also gave a law to prevent unpayable debts from accumulating or to prevent people from borrowing longer than they should and to keep banking merchants from loaning huge sums to collect usury. His plan was to set apart every seventh year so that any balance owing on a debt would be canceled. This period did not apply to the seven years after the origination of the debt, but at the national cycle of seven years, thus all debts would be canceled on the same year. This law reads, quote, At the end of every seven years, thou shalt make a release, and this is the manner of the release. Every creditor that lendeth ought unto his neighbor shall release it. 
he shall not exact it of his neighbor or his brother, because it is called the Lord's release. Of a foreigner thou mayest exact it again, but that which is thine with thy uh, brother, thine hand shall release. Deuteronomy chapter 15, verses 1 through 3. We are on page 40. If this law were in practice among the Latter-day Saints, there would be no Mormons having a debt on their home or their car or farm over seven years. Mortgages on houses could not exceed the seven-year allotted by the Lord. Even prisoners whose crimes brought them a greater than seven-year sentence would either be executed or released. No one could be sentenced for over seven years. According to God's law, all of our present long-term loans are illegal. We're breaking Torah law, which is still applicable. In fact, Jesus came to give us a higher law, but the base law was the Torah. You don't live the higher law without living the base like, for instance, he said, uh, it is written that uh, if you, you know, commit adultery, that's, that's a sin, right? But if Jesus said, if you even look upon a woman with lust, that is a sin. And the word there in the scriptures actually means a married woman. So just throwing that out there. It doesn't mean a maiden or a virgin, whatever. Um, According to God's law, all of our present long-term loans are illegal. Thus, all federal spending exceeding a seven-year time period would be illegal as well. The prophet Nehemiah, or Nehemiah, rebuked his national leaders for their usury, their binding of servants, and the bondage of the people because they were sins against God's law. In this temporal bondage, there was a great cry of the people and of their wives against their brethren, the Jews, not too different from our own present conditions. They were complaining because we have mortgaged our lands, vineyards, and house, and we have borrowed money for the king's tribute, and that upon our lands and vineyards... The federal tax had become so severe that e- that even their children were in bondage. This condition was very is has a very familiar ring today. Page forty one. However, the bankers heeded the rebuke of Nehemiah and released the bondage. For so doing, the people and the land were were blessed of the Lord. See Nehemiah or Nehemiah chapter five verses one through thirteen. Could this be a lesson or an example to the international bankers of our day? According to the Lord's law, it is not right that any man should be in bondage one to another. Doctrine and Covenants, section 101, verse 79. That actually brings me to the slave question of the Utah Territory. So do you realize that Utah became a state in, I think it was 1891? Or 1897. It was long after the Civil War. Slavery had been abolished by 
the United States of America. So when people are like, Utah was a slave state, actually, no, it wasn't. It wasn't. And uh, Brigham Young created the nation of Deseret, and the uh, United States of America conquered the nation of Deseret and made it into a territory. And they were, they were the ones who decided that it should be a, uh, a slave territory, not the Mormons. So if you're going to throw the Mormons under the bus, because Utah was a slave state. Did you know Utah was a slave state? This is just the lies of the devil. And the fact that you, that you take any account of them shows your ignorance and it shows your 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 i don't know you don't have any critical thinking skills there are so many lds or ex mormons out there and every little thing that comes along any any little accusation that comes along they just are like did you know that the mormons did this did you know that the mormons did that you know what um you're believing lies of the adversary and the imps of the devil and you don't have any discernment and you're being led astray because you believe every stupid thing that has been passed along by Satan's imps who are men on the earth and devils in, in hell. Anyway, I'm, I'll get off that topic. We're on, uh, we're at 30%. <laughs> Another wise law was both practical and effective to keep Israel solvent, and that was the Jubilee Law. At the end of every 49 years was the year of Jubilee, in which ye shall return everything unto the, uh, every man unto his possession, and ye shall return every man unto his family. Leviticus chapter 25 verse 10. For another 45 verses, the Lord continues to explain all of the requirements of this law, which would be a year of cancellation of all debts, foreclosures, properties, and release of all slaves, servants, or captives. These laws regarding land title, usury, indebtedness, and bondage were given to the Israelites to protect them from the evils of the Gentile economic system. These were religious laws and principles that could have led them into a united order. But the children of Israel were indeed children of their spiritual growth, and so they murmured against God for bringing them away and against Moses for being an instrument in doing it. Whereas God was trying to fulfill the promises he had made with Abraham, their father, and he was making use of Moses as his instrument to deliver the people from that bondage, which with they had been oppressed for so long a time. But because of their transgressions, their wickedness, and their rebelliousness, the law was added to or given unto them, which was made a law of carnal commandments and ordinances. And that the law of carnal commandments and ordinances seemed to suit them a little better than the gospel. They loved these carnal commandments better than the light, the truth, and the revelation, and the spirit that was associated with the gospel. And they could not come into the presence of God. And quote John Taylor, 
Journal of Discourses, Volume 21, pages 247 and 248. The children of Israel became so attached to their temporal possessions that they lost God's blessings. They, too, probably wanted to speculate in business ventures, dabble in real estate, and set up banking systems. The result was that they went bankrupt, they lost their lands, and they fell into bondage both temporally and spiritually. And uh, before we go on to the next section, this was also a problem in Nauvoo in the 1840s, where certain individuals would buy up land and then they would sell it at a higher price to the converts who were coming from all over North America and Europe. Joseph Smith kept telling him to stop doing this thing. But they continued to do this thing. What they were doing was against God's law. And even in the Doctrine and Covenants, it says that if you will be a Zion people, you must be equal in all things. But by the early church leaders doing these things, like Brigham Young and Heber C. Kimball and others, they were actually not equal. They were boosting themselves up above their people. Brigham Young never lived a united order. He had some of the finest things that he could have in the Utah Territory. Uh, and if you don't believe it, just Google the Lion House and take a look on YouTube. Or if you're in Salt Lake, go look or go to the Lion House and take a tour of, of Brigham Young's home. One of Brigham Young's homes. Joseph Smith told him to stop doing these things, but they didn't listen. Also, in the Doctrine and Covenants, the Lord gives us a commandment that um, it is not given for one man to own that which is above another, wherefore the whole world lies in sin. But these people who are land speculating were doing it to make money on the saints who were converting to the rest, the gospel of the restoration. And this thing was an abomination in the sight of God. And Joseph Smith told them over and over again to stop doing these things, but they wouldn't listen. They held him up as a prophet, but they were going to do what they were going to do. And that's part of the reason why Jesus said in section 124 that they would be rejected as a church with their debt if they did not do the things that God told them to do. And, and Jesus even says that he would choose another people. So anyway, I'll uh, get off that topic because I, I go on to it a lot. In the Book of Mormon, in many ways, the story of the Nephite people is the same of that of the children of Israel. They were taught the United Order principles, but because of their weakness, they too become disobedient. And by the way, you want to liken the scriptures unto yourselves, people who are members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints with your 16 million members and the church owning billions of dollars in assets, property, stocks, bonds, and all the other things, and you don't have one united order among you, you could. You could have temper recommend type of, you know, qualified to become part of united orders, but you won't do it. Now, 
will say that they were too weak to do it, but then you don't liken that unto yourself. God never rescinded any of these laws or instructions. He is waiting for a people to be obedient to his commandments. We should have united orders. And the reason that we don't is because the people are weak. Let's see here. As early as 600 BC, Lehi counseled his sons, quote, Arise from the dust, my sons, and be men, and be determined in one mind and in one heart, united in all things, that ye may not come down into captivity. Second Nephi chapter 1, verse 21, or on page 43. Many years later, the wise Jacob, son of Lehi, denoted the true source of wealth and how to obtain it. Quote, oh, that he would rid you from this iniquity and abomination. And oh, that ye would listen unto the word of his commands and, not, or, and let not this pride of your hearts destroy your souls. Think of your brethren like unto yourselves and be familiar with all and free with your substance that, that they may be rich like unto you. But before ye seek for riches, seek for the kingdom of God. And after ye have obtained a hope in Christ, ye shall obtain riches if ye seek therein. And, and ye shall seek them for the intent to do good, to clothe the naked and to feed the hungry and to liberate the captive and administer relief to the sick and the afflicted. Jacob chapter 2, verses 16 through 19. Several centuries later, the prophet Alma saw wickedness in the people who were becoming proud because of their exceeding riches, and they were lifted up in the pride of their eyes and to set their heart upon riches and upon the vain things of the world, that they began to be scornful one towards another and they began to persecute those that did not believe according to their own will and, ple- and pleasure. Alma chapter 4 verse 8. This pride led to the downfall of their church. And Alma saw the great inequality among the people. Because they would turn their backs upon the needy, the sick, and the hungry, the weaknesses of human nature is clearly depicted in the Book of Mormon, page 44. Those people would become rich, full of pride, and then fall. After humbling themselves, they would again become generous, then rich, then the pride came again, and they would suffer another fall. However, after a peculiar, uh, particular persuasive discourse by King Mosiah, the Nephites heeded his instruction, and once again, the Lord blessed them. This has become recognized as one of the finest discourses in scriptures on the true nature of wealth and its purpose. And although it is rather lengthy, lengthy it certainly deserves space in this chapter. And also ye yourselves will succor those that stand in need of your succor. You will administer of your substance unto him that standeth in need. And you will not suffer that the beggar putteth up his petition to you in vain, and turn him out to perish. 
Perhaps thou shalt say, The man has brought upon himself his misery. Therefore I will stay my hand, and I will not give unto him of my food, nor impart unto him of my substance, that he may not suffer, for his punishments are just. But I say unto you, O man, whosoever doeth this, the same hath great cause to repent. And except he repenteth of that which he hath done, he perisheth forever, and hath no interest in the kingdom of God. For behold, are we not all beggars? Do we not all depend upon the same uh, being, even God, for all the substance which we have, both food and raiment, for gold and for silver, and for all the riches which we have of every kind? Page 45. And behold, even at this time, ye have been calling upon his name and begging for a remission of your sins. And he have suffered, and has he suffered that ye have begged in vain? Nay, he has poured out his spirit upon you, and caused that your heart should be filled with joy, and has caused that your mouths should be stopped, that ye should, uh, could not find utterance. So exceedingly great was your joy. And now, if God who has created you on whom ye are dependent for your lives and for all that ye have and and are, doth grant unto you whatsoever ye ask that is right in faith, believing that ye should receive. Oh, then, how ye ought to impart of your substance that ye have one to another. And if ye judge the man who putteth up his petition to you for for your substance, that he perisheth not, and condemneth him, how much more uh, just will your condemnation for withholding of your substance, which doth not belong to you, but unto God. So it belongs to everything belongs to God. Even you belong to God. To whom also you are your life belongeth, and yet ye put up no petition, nor repent of the thing which thou hast done. I say unto you, Woe be unto that man, for his substance shall perish with him. And now I say these things unto those who are rich as pertaining to the things of the world. And again I say unto the poor, Ye who have not, and yet have sufficient, that ye remain from day to day. I mean all you who deny the beggar, because ye have not, I would that ye should say in your hearts that I give not because I have not, but if I had, I would give. Page 46. And now if you, if you would say this in your hearts, ye remain guiltless, otherwise ye are condemned. For your condemnation is just, for ye covet that which ye have not received. And now for the sake of these things which I have spoken unto you, that is, for the sake of retaining your remission of your sins from day to day, that ye may walk guiltless before God, I would that ye should impart of your substance to the poor, every man according to that which he hath, such as feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, visiting the sick, and administering to their relief, both spiritually and temporally, according to their wants. And quote, 
Mosiah, or Moshiach, chapter 4, verses 16 through 26. Alma records the resulting wealth and success of the Nephite people because of their following correct principles. And now because of the steadiness of the church, they began to be exceeding rich, having abundance in all things whatsoever they stood in need, and abundance of flocks and herds and failings of every kind, and also abundance of grain and of gold and silver and of precious things and abundance of silk and fine twine linen and all manner of good homely cloth. And thus they did prosper and become far more wealthy than those who did not belong to their church. Alma chapter 1 verses 29 through 31. After this prosperous occasion. However, the Nephites once again were tempted by the lure and lust of riches. The description of what took place is recorded as follows. We're on page 47. For there were many merchants in the land, and also many lawyers and many officers, and the people began to be distinguished by ranks according to their riches and their chances of forelearning. Yea, some of them were ignorant because of their poverty, and others did receive great learning because of their riches. Some were lifted up in pride, and others were exceedingly humble. Some did return railing for railing, while others would receive railing and persecution of all manner of afflictions, and would not turn and revile again, but were humble and penitent before God. And thus... There became a great inequality in all the land, insomuch that the church began to be broken up, yea, insomuch that the thirtieth year of the in the thirtieth year the church was broken up in all of the land, save it were among a few of the Lamanites who were converted unto the true faith, and they would not depart from it, for they were firm and steadfast and immovable, willing, willing with all diligence to keep the commandments of the Lord. 3 Nephi, chapter 6, verses 11 through 14. The explanation for this great trouble was that Satan had great power, puffing them up with pride, tempting them to seek for power and authority and riches and the vain things of the world. 3 Nephi, chapter 6, verse 15. Furthermore, it says that they did not sin ignorantly, for they knew the will of God. And the result of this was one of the greatest destructions in the history of the world. The few that were left were forced to be humble and seek their God, leading to the appearance of Christ among them. Page 48. For an extended period of time, Christ taught the Nephites personally and gave them his commandments. After receiving these teachings directly from the Lord, we read that, and they taught and did minister one to another, and they had all things in common among them, every man dealing justly one with another. Third Nephi chapter 26, verse 19. The work of their missionaries extended to every portion of the land and to every class of people. It was a magnificent missionary effort, and the results were astounding. The people were all converted unto the Lord, 
upon all the face of the land, both the Nephites and the Lamanites, and were no more and and there were no more contentions and disputations among them. And every man did deal justly one with another, and they had all things in common among them. Therefore, there were not rich and poor, bond and free, but they were all made free and partakers of the heavenly gift. And it came to pass that there was no more contention among all the people in all the land, but they there were mighty miracles wrought among the disciples of Jesus. And it came to pass that there was no contention in the land because of the love of God, which did dwell in the hearts of the people. Page 49. And there were, and there were no envyings, no strifes, no tumults, nor whoredoms, nor lyings, nor murders, nor any manner of lasciviousness, and surely there could not be a happier people among all the people who had been created by the hand of God. There were no robbers, nor murderers, neither were there Lamanites, nor any manner of ites, but they were in one the children of Christ and heirs to the, the kingdom of God. And how blessed were they, for the Lord did bless them in all of their doings. 4th Nephi, chapter 2, 3, 13, 15, 16, 17, and 18. Let me see here. I want to see what lasciviousness means, because I think I've looked up this word before, but I can't remember what it means right now. So, lasciviousness. Define. Uh, okay, uh, it's an ad- adjective. A person, in manner, or gesture, fee- feeling, or... Re- revealing an overt and often offensive sexual desire. He gave her a lascivious wink. Uh, Derivatives, let's see, origin. Okay, that's good enough. All right, let's get back into the reading here. We're 70% done with the reading for today. After living in a lifestyle similar to that of Enoch for nearly 200 years, the influence of riches once again began to creep into the Nephite society. These people had spread all over the land, and some began to be lifted up in pride, and they wore costly apparel or costly clothing and sought for all the fine things of the world. This change in their attitude brought calamity upon them, and from that time forth they did have their goods and their substance no more common among them. Fourth Nephi chapter 1 verse 25. The, this division caused classes among the people, and of course some had to deny what was once the order of the church and to deny the more parts of the gospel. The church did multiply exceedingly because of iniquity and because of the power of Satan, who did get hold upon their hearts. 4th Nephi chapter 1 verse 28. It was mainly because they were fled by many, I'm sorry, because they were fed by many priests and false prophets. In only a few more years, both the people of Nephi and the Lamanites had become exceedingly wicked. Page 50. And a final curtain was about to be dropped on the magnificent civilization. 
They had a beautiful land and a magnif- and magnificent cities, yet the, lu- the lust for riches sowed the seeds of their own destruction, never to rise again. Their colossal monuments of art and their towering temples still rising above the jungle floor are testaments of what they abandoned because of foolishness and pride. The New Testament. When a young man came to Jesus asking what he might do to gain eternal life, Jesus quoted some of the Ten Commandments to him. The man said that he had done this from his youth. Then Jesus said, Sell whatsoever thou hast and give it to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and follow me. Mark chapter 10, verse 21. Uh, real quick before I go on, um, I am pre-recording the show for today. Um, it is the 9th of September as I'm doing this, but I'm going to take a break for a minute and I'm going to ask uh, my wife and my son if they have anything to say about anything that we've read so far. And uh, I'm going to open up the phone lines for people who want to call in. The guest call the number is 917-889-8827. There are 50 lines available for people to call in to listen. However, if you want to join the conversation, you can push 1, and I'll see your hand raise, or Emmett will, because he's usually the one that does the studio. And we will bring you on to this show, if, if that's what you want to do. You can also go to blogtalkradio.com forward slash fundamentally Mormon, and Listen to this online in that place and ask your questions or comments during the live the live show um, in the chat and we'll get to them at the end of the program. Also, anybody who does want to join the conversation will be pulled into a live sc- uh, a screening room off air and you can ask your questions or comments and if you want to go on the air, then I will bring you onto the air at the end of the program. But if not, um, I will just take your questions and then I will uh, give the answer off um, on on the air. So anyway, uh, Emmett and, and Kim, is there anything that you have to say before we go on with the rest of the program? No, I don't. Uh, not really. So I guess I'm going to play the part two. Um, I guess so. Is he still on? Are you still on, Tyson? I am, Mark? but I am almost to the mine, and I don't know if you can even hear me. <laughs> yeah, I can hear you. You're yep. fine. Okay. Okay. So I just play part two then, and uh, we'll take phone calls uh, so people can call in. But go ahead and play part two, and then we'll go to that point. Thank you. Welcome. All right, continuing with the reading. When the young man heard that, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Apparently the love, actually, you know what, I'm going to read from the top again just to make sure we're covering this right. So this is the section heading the New Testament. When a young man came to Jesus asking what he might do to gain eternal life, Jesus quoted some of the Ten Commandments to him. 
And the man said that he had done this from his youth. Then Jesus said, Sell whatsoever thou hast, and give it to the poor, and thou shalt have treasure in heaven, and follow me. Mark chapter 10, verse 21. When the young man heard that, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Apparently, this love of riches was the only part of the gospel that kept him from consecrating his riches. It is also evident from this that the Lord was teaching the principles of economic equality as part of his gospel. This fact was mentioned by Luke when he wrote, quote, And all that believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and their goods, and parted them to all men, as every man had need. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, did eat their meat with gladness. Now, real quick, um, when the King James Version of the Bible was written, the word meat did not mean meat from an animal. It actually meant grains. So when it's talking about bread and meat, it's actually just talking about bread. But continuing, they did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God for having favor and having favor with all people. Acts chapter 2, verses 44 through 47, page 51. The couple of chapters later, a couple of chapters later, we read more concerning the sharing in common of their temporal wealth. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul, neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. Neither was there any among them that lacked, for as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the price prices of that thing that were sold and laid them down at the apostles' feet, and distribution was made unto every man according as he has need. Acts chapter 4, verses 32, 34, and 35. This is a clear description of the gospel of Christ functioning in a temporal affairs of the Christians. From this graphic illustration, it is evident by comparison that the thousands contend that the thousands contending Christian churches of today do not practice the gospel of Christ. Jesus commanded his disciples that they must love their neighbors. See Mark chapter 12, verses 30 and 31, which means helping, sharing, and contributing to their needs, or it means nothing. To obey this law and commandment was to receive great blessings, but to disobey it was to commit a great sin. To illustrate the importance and sacredness of obedience to this law, the following event is recorded, quote, But a certain man named Ananias, with Sapphira, his wife, sold the possession and kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and bought a certain part and, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. Page 52. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? While it, 
while it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was yeah, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou convinced this thing, conce- conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost. And great fear came upon all them that heard these things. And the young men arose and wound him up and carried him out and buried him. And it was about the space of three hours after when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in. And Peter answered unto her and said, Tell me whether ye sold the land for so much. And she said, Yea, for so much. Then Peter said unto her, How is it that ye have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them which have buried thy husband are at the door, and shall carry thee out. Then then fell she down straightway at his feet, and yielded up the ghost, and the young men came in, found her dead, and carrying her forth, buried her by her husband. And great fear came upon all the church and upon as many as heard these things. Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Paul the Apostle said, quote, As many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. Romans chapter 2, uh, chapter 2 verse 12. So important was this law among the Christians that death was the penalty for disobedience. Chapter I'm sorry, page 53. This united order among the early Christians was not just a plan to set the apostles up in a priestcraft form of livelihood, as it was so often seen today, but rather a cooperative system in which they all shared labor as well as their necessities. Paul said, quote, Neither did we eat any man's bread for naught, but wrought with labor and travail, night and day, that we might not be chargeable to any of you, not because we have not power, but to make ourselves an example unto you to follow us. For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 8 through 10. It may be assumed, therefore, that the living the United Order was the major effort of Christ and the apostles. In fact, nowhere in the New Testament did Christ or his apostles mention that tithing was to take precedence over their United Order effort. However, this United Order established among the early Christians apparently did not survive for long. Paul complained of the wickedness among the saints at Ephesus Galatia, Corinth, and other places. Also, the Apostle John wrote to the saints in Sardius, Laodicean, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, Thyatira, and Philadelphia, all of whom were chastised for not living the gospel. Christianity in its purity was short-lived, never to be properly taught or practiced again, until its restoration 2,000 years later. Page 54. In the study of ancient scriptures, it is astonishing to discover how little has been recorded 
of the higher law of the United Order. The two most notable examples of communities obeying this law are confined to only a few short verses in Holy Scripture. If it had not been for the restoration of the gospel to the prophet Joseph Smith, we would know nothing more than the rest of the modern Christendom concerning this important law of the gospel. So that's the end of chapter 4. When we come back on, uh, next time we come back to the United Order, we'll be in chapter 5, The Kirtland Catastrophe, starting on page 55. Now you can read this book for free online at ogdenkraut.com. That's O-G-D-E-N-K-R-A-U-T.com. Click on Read Books Online and then scroll down to the United Order and we'll be starting on page 55 when we come back to this book. The guest lines are now open. The phone number to call in is 917-889-8827. And while you're calling in or asking your questions at blogtalkradio.com forward slash fundamentally Mormon, I will do the preview for the next chapter, which basically just means I'm going to read one page. If we have any callers or any questions, we'll get to them after the preview, which I am about to read. And if not, uh, I will just ask if my wife or son have any comments. And then after that, we will go to the end of the program with the music. So thank you, everyone, for listening. Let's get right into the preview, which is Chapter 5, The Kirtland Catastrophe, starting on page 55. The Kirtland Catastrophe. It is not given that one man should possess that which is above another, wherefore the whole world lieth in sin. Doctrine and Covenants, section 49, verse 20. It was in Kirtland, Ohio, that some of the most important events in church history occurred. Here the prophet Joseph Smith made his home, and from here every major activity of the church was conducted. The planning of towns, the performing missionary work, building a temple, publishing information such as the Book of Commandments, the Book of Mormon, and the inspired translation of the Bible, which, by the way, was finished. It was also in Kirtland that the church obtained the rolls of papyri, which came to be the writings of Abraham. Now, real quick, before I go on with the rest of this preview, in the 1960s, there were fragments of the Book of Abraham or these these rolls, these scrolls that were found, uh, they are fragments. If you put all the fragments together, it equals up about three feet in length. In the times and seasons, I think it was, uh, if you put all of the scrolls that they had together, it would have been 185 feet. And I talked about this on the show yesterday, but so when people flip out about Well, the fragments that we have, they'll say they found the whole book, which is a lie. We found the whole book, and the whole book that we found does not have anything to do with what Joseph Smith wrote. Well, I'm sorry that you think you found the whole book or all of the scrolls when you have uh, several fragments equal about three feet in length, but you don't have 182 feet that was originally part of the scrolls. If If you laid them out, and and I believe it was like 185 feet long. And if I'm not correct exactly, it was still 
pretty dang long, over 100 feet long. So this whole idea that the book of Abraham cannot, uh, was not even in the scrolls or whatever, it's just another lie of the devil to get you to stop stop believing in Joseph, uh, that Joseph Smith was a true prophet. Before we go on, I want to say that I know that Joseph Smith was a true prophet. And actually, I'll, I'll save that to the end of the. Um, I'll say that I'll save that to the end of the preview. So I'll just finish this real quick. When the temple was built in Kirtland, the saints enjoyed a modern Pentecost of spiritual experiences to witness the Lord's approval of its construction and dedication. It was also here that some of the greatest manifestations that have been ever been experienced by man took place. Ancient prophets holding the keys of their dispensations came to Kirtland to, to bestow them to this people. See Doctrine and Covenants, section 110. The church enjoyed peace and prosperity in Kirtland, but also persecution and terrible losses. The prophet was dragged from house to house, stripped, covered with tar and feathered, uh, tar and feathers and beaten. Okay, so that's the end of the preview. Now, let me just say something before um, we go on to any calls that might be in the studio. I want to tell you something about myself. I was raised in large part by my grandparents. My grandmother joined the church in Eau Claire, Wisconsin, when she was 17 years old. When World War II happened, she became a nurse in the Navy and she was assigned to Angel Island. My grandfather was raised in Chicago and he joined the Marines when the war happened and he went to Guadalcanal and Iwo Jima. He got shot in combat and his platoon went on without him. He decided that he didn't want to be left behind, so he kind of tried to follow them, and uh, he saw that his platoon was being flanked, or not flanked, but basically they walked into a turkey shoot. Now, Guadalcanal and Iwo Jima are very mountainous areas, and there were these things called pillboxes up on the hill where the machine gunners would shoot down into this what they call them turkey shoots. It's a really bad thing. If you're in a turkey shoot, you're probably going to die. My grandfather flanked, went around and flanked the one of the nests and killed the two soldiers who were inside of it. The other machine gun nest turned their machine guns on him, shot him all up, threw a grenade, blew off one of his feet. He played dead. When they were not paying attention to him anymore and they were shooting back at the, his platoon, my grandfather pulled his his body close enough to the machine gun nest, lobbed a grenade in the nest, stunned both of the soldiers inside, and then pulled himself without a foot and all shot up into the nest and killed both of the soldiers with his knife. And then he passed out. His legs were amputated on the beach. Gangrene set in. 
and he went through several more amputations as the gangrene tried to go up and poison him in his stumps. He was taken to Angel Island where he in time recovered to the extent that he could and learned how to walk on wooden legs and he met my grandma. During the war, my grandfather went around and he gave speeches for the war effort. And after the war, he went to my grandmother and told her he wanted to marry her her, and that he was going back to Chicago. And he told her where he was staying and he said, if you accept my um, engagement, then I will be here and... I'll let you think about it, basically. My grandmother showed up on his doorstep. They got on the train together. They went from Angel Island, which is in the San Francisco area, up to Sacramento, and then they got married. And then they went back to Chicago on the train. My grandfather did not give up smoking or drinking, or cussing, but my grandma loved him anyway. But my grandfather did eventually give those things up, and he converted to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and to the Restoration. They went on seven missions throughout their life. Uh, My grandfather didn't have any legs, so the government paid him a pension, and also my grandmother got a pension as well. Uh, because she was a Navy nurse, and so they didn't need to work, but sometimes they did, and they always had businesses that they tried to do, but they went on missions. My mother was raised as a missionary's child. Now, this is very rare in church history where missionaries are allowed to take their kids with them, but this was something that my grandfather had a special dispensation to. So he went out as a missionary on seven missions with my grandmother and their three daughters, my mother being the youngest and the most rebellious. When I was born and I was growing up, we did not go to church very often. I went to uh, the LDS church, but I also went to a Baptist church. The only reason I was baptized in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints when I was 10 years old was because my grandfather told my mother if she didn't get me baptized, she was going to be out of the will. So she complied so she could be in the will. I did not like the LDS Church at all because of how I was treated by the people of that church as a kid. I eventually joined the Baptist church in in Ogden, Utah. They were Southern Baptists, and I became very anti against the church, thinking that Joseph Smith was deceived by Satan himself in the story of Moroni. I read lots of anti-Mormon literature, and I tried to have my name removed from the church when I was 16, or I think I was 17 years old. The bishop, who read, where my records were, uh, said 
that I couldn't have my name removed until I became an adult or some crap. Anyway, so so my name and records were still in the church. Now, there was a point in my life where I was so low that I started using drugs and alcohol to escape reality and escape a certain pain caused by abuse and neglect. I was homeless on and off from the time I was 16 all the way until 19. And then I've had other times when I've been homeless even after that. But after that was by my own choice. Before that, I wasn't. I just, I was a kid. I didn't know anything. I didn't, my aunt and uncle decided to move out one day uh, while I was at work uh, flipping burgers at this place called the Burger Stop in Leighton, Utah. And when I got home, there was a note on the counter that said I was not their responsibility. And I was on my own. And this single wide trailer that we were renting, they just left. I was 16. When I called my mom, she said that her boyfriend didn't like me and that I was not welcome there. Anyway, I ended up homeless. Um, Long story short, I tried to commit suicide. I was going to use my friend's gun. I don't know what he did with his gun. Thank goodness. But uh, he didn't, uh, there was still a disposable razor, you know, shave to shave your face or whatever. I broke the razors apart. I took some mace bandages. I drank a bottle of wine. I overdosed on aspirin so that my blood would not coagulate. I broke the shavers and I cut into my arms hundreds of times. I wrapped the ace bandages around my upper arm above my elbows and everywhere that I could find a vein or an artery, I cut. It was so bad that when the emergency room eventually got a hold of me, they had to glue my wounds back together because it was hamburger meat. My friend came home early from work and he found me and he wasn't supposed to come home. And it saved my life. After that, I wrote God a letter and I said, I told him, if you will show me the truth and heal me, I will serve you for the rest of your life. Now, remember, I was a drug addict and an alcoholic. I was suicidal and I did not want to live. But I wrote God this letter pleading for him to help me and to show me the truth. And it wasn't long after that that Elder King and Elder Bowman of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in the Layton, Utah area showed up at my doorstep. Now, I was walking out the door and going down the stairs from the apartment that my friend had, and I was going to go over and watch uh, Romeo and Juliet. This was in 1996. And I talked to them for a little while, and they asked if they could come back, and I said, oh, sure. And then every time they tried to come back, I just wasn't there. But they persisted. <laughs> anyway, anyway, so eventually I did let them into 
the house and I did talk to them. And that was the first time I felt peace in years. They told me about the boy Joseph Smith who had heard so many different versions and interpretations of the scriptures from these different denominations and he didn't know which one was right and he wanted to know which one he should follow. He really investigated these things and uh, he came across this scripture, James chapter 1 verse 5, If you lack wisdom, ask God who giveth to all men freely, freely and he will give it to you. He asked God, the Eternal Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, which church he should join. And that's when he saw the Father and the Son face to face. And that was the beginning of the restoration of the true gospel upon the earth, which had been in apostasy and in darkness among all of these different denominations of Christianity. When I heard that, I felt the Spirit. After the missionaries left, I went up into the loft in this apartment that my friend had, and I knelt down and I asked God, the Eternal Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, if Joseph Smith was a true prophet and if the Book of Mormon was true. And the Holy Spirit started, and the only way I can describe it is, it, is if God poured holy oil beginning at the top of my head, filling me with warmth and love and healing me from the top of my head flowing down through my whole soul. I also heard heavenly hosts singing praises to God, which I cannot describe to you in any way other than it was like I was hearing millions of angels singing in unison to God. At that point, I was completely healed from all the drugs and all the alcohol and did not have a desire to use anything like that. It was completely taken from me, 100% gone. Because of that experience and because of numerous experiences with God and angels and visions and all kinds of different things, miracles, I know that Joseph Smith was a true prophet. Regardless of what people say about him or even regardless of what he may have done before, during, or after, whatever, I know that he was a prophet. And I know that the Book of Mormon is true. And I stand upon the rock of revelation in that testimony. I hated the Mormon church. I was a full-blown anti-Mormon Baptist. But God showed me the truth. And he healed me. And I'll leave these, this testimony with you. In the name of Yeshua our Messiah. Even Jesus the Christ. Amen. Okay. Kim and Emmett. Do we have any callers? And if not, then we'll just end the program. 
The guest call-in number is 917-889-8827. And the chat room is blogtalkradio.com forward slash fundamentally Mormon. And this text is posted at facebook.com forward slash L-A-Z-U-R-U-S 1970. Uh, well, yeah, 1977. So that's L-A-Z-U-R-U-S 1977. Or you can just find me by searching... Mark Lichtenwalter, or Zion's Redemption Radio Network, or Zion's Redemption Bookstore, or LDS Last Days Prophecy and Gospel Discussions, or LDS Gospel Mysteries. <laughs> and uh, if you go to my main page, my my personal profile, which is my public profile, but if you'll go there, you'll find the text to this program for September 9th, 2021. Are you there? Yeah, no one's called in or in the chat room or whatever it's called at all. Did you or mom have any comments or questions? Not really. Um, no, I can't you were that whole thing. Sorry, yep. what was that, Kim? Oh, I was just saying you recorded that whole thing? Yeah. That's good, because I've heard you say that testimony probably a million times, and it must be exhausting talking it every time. And so I was thinking, oh, that's cool that you, like, recorded it. That way you could, you know, bear your testimony. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? Well, um, so because the program has finished, um, I will delete this off of the studio. And I will put a new one there later on when I do another recording. So, um, you know, it's just basically, so, you know, I fell asleep, what, around 5.30 this morning. I didn't stay up with you and get get ready. I was so tired. Anyway, so I woke up around 10.30, and I was like, I'm going to take a little bit of time to record a program so that you guys don't have to to do it. You know, you can focus on whatever it is you got to focus on. You can listen, but anyway. Yeah. And then I finished around twelve thirty and went back to sleep till like five, uh, which meant that I was an hour late for work. But it didn't matter because they were servicing my truck anyway, and yeah. they didn't get my truck back to me till eight p.m. <laughs> I was pulling out of the yard and the radio show was starting. Anyway, so, yeah, I I would like to try to do that, but it just depends on if I'm exhausted or not, whether I can record one, but it worked out today. So, anyway, I'm almost to Sunnyside Dip. Was there anything that you wanted to say about the content of the program today? Uh, Nope. Okay. Uh, If... Uh, we'll, I guess we'll end the radio program for today, and we'll be back on Monday. And uh, you can go ahead and cue the music. Thank you. Love you. Love you. Bye. 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 Bye.
why are you in there by yourself? School of the Prophets, the first oath and covenant of the priesthood. All those who enter into the School of the Prophets or the Relief Society shall have taken the oath and covenant of the priesthood upon them, which oath is done by raising both hands to the square and saying, O Father, unto thee I pledge my oath. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. I will do all in my power to bring thy kingdom upon the earth. I covenant with thee that I will take thee as my law, and I will obey thy revelations unto me, whether they be revelations given to me or to another, but which are confirmed to me. It is the same. I know that ye cannot fail, and that I must obey the law upon which any blessing is predicated to get the good of that blessing. Even so, amen. Brothers and sisters, welcome to the school of the sons and daughters of the gods, even the school of, of magi and of prophets and of seers and of, of priests and priestesses, kings and queens. I am the teacher that hath been appointed for this school, and I am standing in my place at the head of the circle, for there shall be established a circle with a triangle in the middle. The teacher and priest at the head of the circle is Elijah. The king upon the right side is called Messiah, and the magi upon the left is called Elias. You have come unto the house of the Lord to receive your second endowment, in the school of the prophets and in the Relief Society, the mysteries of God shall be revealed unto you in the bonds of brotherhood, sisterhood, charity, and love. All the rooms which ye shall meet in for the school of the prophets from this day forth shall be dedicated as a temple unto the living God, which is his house, even a house of prayer, a house of fasting, a house of faith, a house of learning, a house of glory, a house of order, a house of God. Wherefore, if ye will obey the order of this house, ye will speak in turn, walk in turn, and let the love and charity that ye have one for another grow as ye perform these binding ordinances. For the order of the ordinances in this house alone will expand the love ye have for one another. Dedicatory Prayer The dedicatory prayer is a prayer of dedication by the inspiration of the Spirit, dedicating it as a school and temple of God. Inviting God into the house or dedicated room. All shall take a white handkerchief and waving them say, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna to God and the Lamb. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna to God and the Lamb. Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna to God and the Lamb. Amen, Amen, and Amen.
Now all those who wish to accept the obligations and blessings of the endowment, please raise your hands. Very well. Washing of feet. The holy priest of the holder washing the feet shall invite the patron to sit down and place a basin of water in front of him to put his feet in. The holy priest of the holder will then take off his garments and set them nearby and gird himself with a long towel like a temple robe over one shoulder. He will then kneel down and begin the washing of the feet, saying, Brother, by the authority of the priesthood, after the order of the Son of God, I wash your feet, preparatory to receiving your second anointing in the house of the Lord, that you may rule and reign in the house of Israel, or Adam, forever. And at this time wash you clean, every whit, that you are now clean from the blood and sins of this generation. I wash you clean of the blood and sins of this generation, and again I wash you clean of the blood and sins of this generation, that you may be called up and come forth in the morning of the first resurrection, and be clean without spot at the judgment bar of God, for you have done your part to warn the people of this generation, ridding your garments of their blood. Wherefore I declare by the authority of the holy priesthood that you are clean, and that your sins are forgiven if ye have repented. And I do this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. This does not need to be the exact wording, but it, this is an example of the washing of feet. Salute. Now behold, mine son, after this has been done, he shall be accepted into the school by raising both hands high in the salute, and the priest, and the priest shall also raise his hands high in the salute, and the priest shall say, Art thou a brother of brethren? I salute you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, in token or remembrance of the everlasting covenant, in which covenant I receive you to fellowship in a, in a determination that is fixed, immovable, and unchangeable, to be your friend and brother, through the grace of God and the bonds of love, to walk in all the commandments of God, blameless, in thanksgiving, forever and ever. Amen. And he that is found unworthy of this salutation shall not have place among you, for ye shall not suffer that mine house shall be polluted by him. And he that cometh in and is faithful before me, and is a brother, or if they be brethren, they shall salute the president or teacher with uplifted hands to heaven with this same prayer and covenant, or by saying, Amen, in token of the same. For behold, these words I gave to Joseph Smith, and they have not been abrogated. This shall be done in every session of the School of the Prophets and the Relief Society. Healing and Blessing Sisters are to give each other blessings of healing and comfort by the laying on of hands in the Relief Society. Brethren are to do the same when they are moved upon to do so. Brethren and sisters may also bless and dedicate handkerchiefs to assist in the healing of the sick, as well as blessing and dedicating other objects for purposes of power in the priesthood. Objects which are for protection and not for healing should be blessed with a rod or wand. Being Married to Christ do you have faith that Jesus is the Christ? Yes. Then confess his name and covenant to never deny him as a testimony to the world. The Initiate's Own Words Then, thus saith the Lord to my messenger, Verily, verily, I say unto you, my son, I give unto you a commandment, declaring unto you that they who receive you receive me, and if they receive me, they receive him that sent you, to salute them with my salutation in remembrance of my everlasting covenant, which I have received you to fellowship, may they receive you also as you receive them, that they may be clean from the blood of this generation, and be received by the washing of the feet, for unto this end was the ordinance of washing of feet instituted, 
being bound together in the bonds of brotherly love and sealed together by the covenant of life and peace, which covenant abideth forever with the celestial saints, or in other words, the married uh, to Christ. And he that continueth not in this covenant shall not have place among you, for ye shall not suffer my house to be polluted by them, saith the Lord. Amen. Amen. All those in the school shall then either wash one another's feet or give the holy kiss in token of the same. And they shall say to one another, Do you receive me to be your friend and brother? Are you willing to salute me in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in token or remembrance of the everlasting covenant in which you receive me to fellowship in a determination that is fixed, immutable, and unchangeable to be your friend and brother through the grace of God in the bonds of love to walk in their commandments of God blameless and thanksgiving forever and ever? Amen. Amen. Are you willing to show to the world that you are clean from the blood of this generation? Do you covenant with me in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the presence of these witnesses that you will love your companions in life as Christ loves the church, that you will cherish each other, comfort each other, forsaking all others who are not in the holy order so long as you live? Yes. Having authority, I seal thee, brother, unto the anointed gods, even Christ, both male and female, and seal thee unto myself as mine own son in the first household of Jesus Christ, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. Now men may be sealed to their wives in the second sealing, by taking them by the hand and saying, Art thou my sister? I salute you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, in token or remembrance of the everlasting covenant, in which I covenant to receive you to fellowship in a determination which is fixed and movable and unchangeable to be your friend and brother, through the grace of God in the bonds of love, to walk in all the commandments of God blameless and thanksgiving forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Behold, sisters may also make the covenant and say, Amen, in token of the same. Also to the unmarried, I the Lord willeth that you should be, you should marry in, in the order, that I may have a pure people, saith the Lord. All who have covenanted to only marry within the holy order say, Amen. Amen. This order shall not be broken by any until they themselves stand in the garden of paradise, ready to fall, lest they be destroyed. Amen. Amen. Covenant to enter into a united order. The patron receiving it will put his arm to the square and repeat after he who is administering the covenant, saying, I, brother, so-and-so, do covenant and promise before God, angels, and these brethren in the united order, that I will consecrate all my mind, strength, and wealth unto this united order, and that I will hold all things in common with my brethren according to my stewardship, and I do this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Baptism into the United Order After dedicating the water and going into the water as described above, you hold on to the one being baptized and raising your right arm to the square, you say, Brother, by the authority of the Melchizedek Priesthood, which I hold, I baptize you into the Order of Enoch, which is the United Order before God, and I say this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, Amen. Of the Holy Spirit, Amen. You then immerse them in the water, and then undedicate the water. The Meal of the Prophets The members of the school and or Relief Society shall sit at a table. A glass of wine and a small stack of flatbread shall be provided for each member. A blessing shall be given. O Father, which art in heaven, by the authority of the priesthood, after the order of the Son, we bless this bread to all the souls which shall partake of it, that they may do it in fellowship and brotherhood, 
being knit in one through the love of Christ, which is charity. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. O Father, which art in heaven, by the authority of the priesthood, after the order of the Son, we bless this wine to the souls which shall drink of it, that they may do it in the Spirit, worshiping thee and their mother in spirit and in truth, being knit in one through charity, the greatest of all. For we know that if we are not one, then we are not yours. Even so, in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. The washing of with alcohol. When only men are present, then there can be a washing with a cloth and alcohol. Brother, having authority, I wash your body clean, that it may be healthy, strong, and full of virtue and power. I wash your sins away with charity, making your garments white, even making thee clean every whit of the blood and sins of this generation. I do this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Amen. The Provisional Anointing Brother, by the authority of the priesthood, after the order of the Son, and in the name of Jesus Christ, I pour this holy consecrated oil upon thy head, and give unto thee, unto you a holy anointing. I anoint and ordain thee a king and a priest of the Most High God, to rule and reign in the house of Israel forever, predicated upon this anointing being sealed. I give thee power to bind on earth, and have it bound in heaven. And whomsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And whomsoever thou shalt curse shall be cursed, and whomsoever thou shalt bless shall be blessed. But remember that these things must be done in accordance with those things which have been done before the foundations of the world. I bless thee that ye shall come forth in the first and holy resurrection, and I even ordain you to be one of the sons Amen. I bless thy head and mind that you may receive revelations in carrying on the work. I bless thy eyes that ye may see visions and the eternal worlds. I bless thy nose that ye may smell the sweet smells of the eternal worlds. I bless thy mouth that ye may speak truth. I give thee this holy anointing in the name of Elohim, and in the name of Jehovah, and in the name of the Godhead of this earth, even Michael, Jesus Christ, and the Holy Ghost, who presides over the spirits of just men and women made perfect. Amen. Patriarchal Blessing Brother, by the authority of the patriarchal priesthood and in the and the priesthood after the order of the Son, I lay my hands upon your head and give you a patriarchal blessing in the school of the prophets. Then you shall give the blessing by the Spirit, and do it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. The Council of the Prophets The keys of the holy kiss shall be given. The first or ironic sign of the holy kiss is made by embracing and kissing the right cheek, and then the left, and then the right again, and saying, Peace be upon you. The second or Melchizedek sign of the holy kiss is made by embracing and kissing the right cheek, and then the left cheek, and then the forehead, and saying, Peace be upon you. The third or patriarchal sign of the holy kiss is to kiss upon the lips and saying, God be with you. The first holy kiss is for brethren and sisters in the priesthood and siblings. The second holy kiss is for parent and child in the priesthood or familial bonds. The third holy kiss is for eternal mates or fellow eternal members of the holy order of the opposite gender that you love or are attracted to and feel close enough to, sufficient to merit this kiss. If the motion of this kiss, holy kiss is not reciprocated, and continue with the first in all charity and love. Let all receive it. Let all who are present give the appropriate holy kiss to those sitting upon their right hand and upon their left, and saying unto them, Peace be upon you, or God be with you, or Shalom in token of the same. That will do. Now the members of the holy, the school of, or the Relief Society shall return to the circle and a rod presented. Brethren and sisters, this rod is the rod of the word of God, and whoever shall hold the rod hath the right to speak, 
and all others must be silent until the possessor of the rod hath finished speaking. If you desire to speak, you should put your right foot forward until he who possesses the rod shall give thee the rod. Now if he shall continue to speak long enough after that, that it seemeth he is ignoring a brother or a sister, or a mother or a father, or a son or a daughter in the Lord, then all shall put their feet out also. He shall then repent himself of speaking and give the rod away. The rod is the word of and law of God, and that which is confirmed by the members, having felt the Spirit, shall be considered scripture. Members shall confirm a saying by raising both hands above their head and repeating it, and then saying Amen, after it hath been proposed for a vote. Behold, brethren, now that we are one, let the mysteries be opened up unto us.